Wellness Force Radio, episode 38. My brain fog was so bad, my fatigue was so bad, my insomnia was so bad, my libido was so low that I knew that I really had to do something about this. And two years later, having run labs on over 500 people, it turns out that what I was going through is, is really not uncommon. Wellness Force Radio, welcome back for another episode here on the podcast. I am your host, Josh Trent. I'm also your friend and your digital health coach. And I want to thank you for sharing this little slice of your day with me here on the show. If it's your very first time to Wellness Force Radio, thank you for being here because this show is where we give you the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology. I bring on the thought leaders who dedicate their lives to empowering us with knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today's show is sponsored by wellnessforce.com. Check out wellnessforce.com slash 120. We'll talk today a lot about sleep, functional health, and creating better wellness in 2016. We're already 11, 12 days into the year. How are you doing? This is a check-in point. How are the goals you created on January 1 working out? Are you on the path to success? Are you having trouble? Are you having accountability issues and sticking to it? Right around that two-week point is typically when people move closer to their goals or fall back into old habits. This year does not have to be like last year. Wellness technology and fitness technology has the power to transform and change lives like never before. And the accountability only exists in a group of people that feel connected around the same goal. If your goal is that same goal, letting go of old weight and having energy like never before, this might be the perfect group for you. Jump on over to wellnessforce.com slash 120 and check out the digital health coaching groups launching February 15th. Today's guest, Chris Kelly, he is part of Nourish Balance Thrive, a team of food scientists, registered nurses, medical doctors, heavy in biochemistry. I think you're really gonna love this episode with Chris where he talks about his battles with insomnia, how he overcame those, how to get quality sleep as a busy mom and dad with a family that needs your love, energy, and support. So enjoy part five of your six-part series, Wellness in the New Year, where you get to learn why, according to Chris, sleep trumps everything, including nutrition. Chris Kelly is a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, a graduate of the Kalish Institute, and the founder of Nourish Balance Thrive, a science-based personalized wellness support program. With a degree in computer science and resume at Yahoo in Silicon Valley, Chris's love for data is a powerful complement to his passion for health and functional lab work, helping clients across the world with a powerful team comprised of doctors and food scientists. Chris is also a new dad and a professional mountain biker. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. I'm excited. We were talking for 15 minutes before we recorded here. I feel like you and I could have a three-hour episode, but we're going to keep it concise. So in the new year, people can get really what they need, and that is better wellness. Today's show, so powerful about sleep science, functional health, and creating better wellness. Now, Chris, this team you have, it's unique. You have a food scientist who happens to be your wife, a registered nurse, two medical doctors, one of them with a heavy emphasis in biochemistry. How did you formulate this team and let the audience know what is Nourish Balance Thrive? Sure. Nourish Balance Thrive is, is my baby. It's my business. It was the business that was born out of necessity. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a, a whole bunch of, of health struggles. And, um, you know, when I figured out the solution, it was Nourish Balance Thrive. And I mean, a, a, a lot of stars came together at the same time. They aligned. 
And one of which was, you know, I met a woman who had just finished a master's degree in food science and she was really up, upset and kind of had a lot of cognitive dissonance of like what she'd been taught, you know, the food pyramid and, and a lot of things that people listening to this podcast will know don't work very well. And she didn't want to practice those things. And so we discovered the paleo diet. And at the same time, I'm a pro mountain biker. And one of the girls that I, I regularly trained with was, is an extremely fast lady. In fact, probably one of the fastest mountain bikers in, in the country. And um, she's also a medical doctor and, and, and she had problems with the work that she was doing. You know, she has um, a day that's divided up into time slots and she gets to see 25 patients every day. And at the end of the seven minutes or whatever it is, she's supposed to write a prescription and, and she saw how that wasn't working. And I don't know, that was kind of the beginning of Nourish Balance Thrive. We, we started putting things together and then we added Amelia, who's a, a very pod, passionate podcast listener and a registered nurse that saw what she was doing was not working very well in, mm. in, in a hospital setting. And and then, and then later on, Tommy is, is now my chief medical officer. He's a, a brilliant biochemist, a medical doctor, a research scientist. He does peer review. And he has been instrumental in, in, in my education. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of, kind of simple when I, when I say it like that. But yeah, it's been a lot of work to bring people together like this. And I, I think it's key. You know, I, I always knew I wanted to build a startup. But um, having the people is, is what makes a startup, not an idea. And the power behind this too is that we're not just going to talk about paleo and nutrition today. The science and academia that you have from Nourish Balance Thrive is on a personal note with you as well. You've had some struggles of your own. So beyond just the way that you eat, the way that you sleep, you had a lot of issues with digestion. You've been on many podcasts and shared your story. So just briefly, Chris, tell people what the complications you had so that they can possibly relate to you with something they're struggling with. So I guess my main thing was, you know, food sensitivity. So obviously you've talked about gluten. Um, I'm sure I'm sensitive to dairy. So I've just spent my whole life, ever since I was a baby, consuming foods, which I know now I'm very sensitive to. And, you know, I survived. I didn't die, but I definitely wasn't thriving. And there was a tipping point when I came to the US. So you can probably tell from my accent, I'm British. And I've only been in the US about 13 years. And it was Yahoo, uh, the internet company that brought me here. And moving to the US and eating the food that was provided for me at the canteen, that was the kind of what sent me over the edge and to the point where my brain fog was so bad, my fatigue was so bad, my insomnia was so bad, my libido was so low that I knew that I really had to do something about this. And it was, it was a slow process. Like um, the diet was a huge part of it, understanding the role of sleep. Um, my wife is a food scientist directing me away from the foods that were likely to be causing a problem was a huge part of it. And that got me most of the way. And then more recently, running lab tests, blood, urine, saliva, stool, figuring out what's going on inside my body and making changes with nutritional supplements and maybe some more diet and lifestyle changes. That's kind of got me to where I am now, performing really well as an elite mountain biker, being at a place where I'm so productive I can run a business and and still have some kind of family life. And um, yeah, so that's the story. And it was not a linear path as it never is with people that are healers. I consider you to be a healer. I mean, you've gone through a journey on your own. And in my opinion, there's some conflicting ideas out there, but I think that people who have gone through a health challenge, a serious health challenge, typically have the bandwidth to help others who are currently experiencing the same thing. And when I look at Nourish, Balance, Thrive and some of the things that you've written so vulnerably about, I mean, you talked about going to the gastroenterologist, but then you came across the autoimmune paleo protocol. Touch on that for a second for people that might not know, what is the autoimmune paleo protocol and what did you do with that? The autoimmune 
protocol has been a life-changing experience for me. It's, it's sometimes abbreviated AIP. Some people will have heard about it. And um, yeah, so I discovered the paleo diet um, through my wife and uh, that worked really well for me. And um, so I restricted uh, gluten was the big one. But then AIP goes beyond that. So you're eliminating some other things which can be really common food allergies like dairy and uh, nuts and eggs. So that's kind of really common for people to switch to a paleo diet and they start eating tons of those foods, right? Nuts, nuts and eggs. And uh, they are quite common food allergens. And, uh, and then I also eliminated some other things like um, uh, seeds and spices and nightshades, which can be a problem for some people, but probably not very many. And um, the idea is you just squeaky clean, right? You just eliminate everything that could be a problem. And then you allow for your gut to heal. And then you experiment with reintroducing things. And so when I explained this to a gastroenterologist, they just looked at me like I just arrived from Mars, right? They're like, no, <laughs> imagine. What, what you're eating has nothing to do with this. And, um, you know, we have these anti-inflammatory steroid drugs. If that doesn't work, we have surgery. And um, yeah, this was, this, was the, this was the information that my wife decided was uh, um, I should be directed away from this person <laughs> and, and towards a, a, a lower risk intervention before I went, tried any of those things. And a bit later, you were listening to a podcast, and this was your first time coming across Dr. Kalish, Daniel Kalish, who is really one of the key influencers in functional medicine. So he uses lab tests to uncover basically the hidden root causes. We've had Reed Davis on the show. We'll touch on a little bit of the differentiation between Dr. Kalish and Reed later on, but it's not about chasing symptoms. This was a doctor that you learned could essentially change your life, not just by eating paleo, not just by the autoimmune protocol, but by finding the key elements of how the synergy in the systems of the body actually work together. What did you learn from the Kalish Institute that you use as a practitioner now? Oh, I mean, it was a, a, just a life-changing experience. Like, So I heard him talk on a podcast. And I was like, okay, I need to get in touch with this guy because it made sense. What he was saying was just made a lot of sense. Like in, in the world that I was in at that time, working as a software engineer, I do a lot of support. You always end up doing support when you're a software engineer, right? You, you manage these systems and they can go wrong. So for example, you know, the login page at Yahoo, when, when people can't log into Yahoo, they, they, they really hate that and they, they tend to complain about it. And so you build these systems and you, you monitor things and you, you quantify and you, you, you try and make changes before things get to that point, you know, where people can't log in. And, um, the doctors, they don't work like that and they still don't work like that. So I went to see a primary care physician just two weeks ago and asked him to run a full thyroid panel with seven markers on it. And he opened his desk drawer and he pulled out a reflex hammer and he hit me on the knee with his reflex hammer and I had normal reflexes. And he said, no, there's no, no point in me doing any blood work because you have normal reflexes. Wait, hold on. So he hit you on the knee and then yeah. he said, you don't have to do lab work from hitting you on the knee? Exactly. That's how that even exactly. makes sense. I know. And I'm like, <laughs> You've, you've got to be kidding me. Like this is, oh my God. this is primeval. Like, I just can't believe that you're even suggesting this. And so it's just not how the rest of the world works. And it's certainly not how software engineering works, right? You, you, there's that technology exists now. You don't have to use a reflex hammer to figure out whether someone's thyroid's working correctly. And so, you know, hearing Dan speak in this way, talking about functional medicine versus dysfunctional medicine, which is what I've just described, right? So running some lab work, um, figuring out what's going on and fixing those problems, it kind of really made sense to me. And going through that process, you know, seeing how low my cortisol was, finding out that I had yeast overgrowth and a pinworm infection and some weird amoeba, 
and then taking some supplements to correct those problems and then redoing the test and seeing the problems were gone and experiencing the changes in the way that I felt, that kind of, that was a life-changing experience. And I thought, you know, I mean, I don't want to be a jerk. I want to share this stuff, right? Like who else might be affected by this? Is it just me or is it everybody that's, that's this way? And I, I, you know, as I've since found out, you know, two years later, having run labs on over 500 people, it turns out that what I was going through is, is really not uncommon. And, um, I think there's a lot of people out there that could benefit from it. Absolutely. I mean, I can say in my own life in 2010, I did my FDN testing and I was certified and they found blasto. So I had blastosis hominis and it took me six months to get rid of that. So when diet and exercise don't work, obviously, you know, we start with food, but then there's this other caveat where when we are exercising and we're dieting and we're doing the things that are healthy pillars of fundamental living, there's still this empty space that a lot of people, and I would say millions of people fall into and that is still having weight gain, still having depression, still being tired. They're, they have GI disturbance. They have hormone imbalances. How does sleep, if we look at sleep as a continuum, how, how would this actually be deleterious to general health and wellness? And we can kind of shift gears into the impact of sleep. So we know that there's some really good studies now that show that just even a single night of um, sleep deprivation is going to completely destroy your insulin uh, sensitivity. So, I mean, I don't want to get too technical, but basically, I mean, I think most people understand that you have blood sugar and that blood sugar is, is, is used for energy. And um, you want that to, to stay fairly stable if you're going to have a, a fairly consistent level of energy throughout the day. And so that you could be doing everything right in terms of your diet and, and, and everything else. But um, if you're not getting the sleep, that's just going to, I mean, there's just no way the diet can succeed as well as it could without that. So you know, I think this, the sleep part is, is probably one of the most important components. When you look at sleep as something that's a daily practice, I mean, without sleep, we, we die. <laughs> so it's pretty fundamental to being right. alive. And you had written on your site, you know, according to me, sleep trumps <laughs> everything, including nutrition. So why, why do you feel like sleep is more important than eating correctly for your type? I mean, so the reason I said that was because I noticed the greatest change when my sleep improved. And, um, you know, the diet was obviously a huge thing, like not being bloated all the time was like a godsend. But, you know, for anyone listening to this that suffers from insomnia, they'll know what I'm talking about. And it's just the worst thing in the world. Like, so I got to the point where I stopped going to bed because I knew I wasn't going to sleep. And so I would just lie on the couch and watch old reruns of uh, the Tour de France. I mean, like I'm a cyclist and I kind of enjoy watching that stuff. And it's it's not particularly stimulating. And I would, you know, doze off for a little bit, but I wasn't really sleeping and my blood sugar was so unstable that I would need to wake up in the night and eat something anyway. And, you know, one of the first things that, 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 that Dan gave for me, like we did some organic acids testing, we looked at some neurotransmitter turnover, and he gave me some single amino acid supplements, which had an immediate effect on my sleep. And, you know, that was when the real magic started, right? So once you start sleeping, it's, it's, it's an emotional experience, like being able to, and even now, you know, I notice improvements in, in my ability to sleep. And it's just the most amazing thing that you, it's very difficult to describe to someone who just, you know, some people, you know, people know people that just have never had trouble with sleep and they, they have no clue what I'm talking about right now, but for everyone else that struggled with sleep, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And you have a 26 month year old child. So for you, sleep is very important. Yeah, absolutely. So you're kind of up against it a bit. And I think everybody's up against it a bit because when I look at our environment, it's just not conducive to good sleep, right? So everybody's house has really bright halogen lights 
um, which we know can interfere with circadian rhythms and melatonin production, for example. And so that can make um, sleep more difficult. And you know, everybody's houses t- tend to remain at a fairly constant temperature, which I know can affect sleep. And then maybe you live on a busy street with noise or there's artificial light coming in through the windows and stuff. Um, so, yeah, all of these things are kind of not conducive to good sleep. And, um, and then on top of that, you've got, you know, kids that, that, that tend to jump up and down on your head in the middle of the night. And so that makes things difficult. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, you just if you do everything that you possibly can, if you line up all of those other variables, then you can, have, you can get by. Like you can survive having kids in a way that you wouldn't be able to survive otherwise. Well, I think this message really resonates deep with moms. I recently, about three months ago, I watched my niece. She's two years old at my brother's house. And they live in an area where there is this kind of light coming in from the street. There's noise. There's even a chopper kind of looking for a criminal on the street. And I'm sitting there at 12 o'clock at night. There's all this noise. There's all this light. I typically take a melatonin or a 5-HTP to try to go to bed. This might be a good opportunity to share with the busy parents out there, Chris. How do they hack their environment from a supplement perspective? So if they are having trouble sleeping, what are the key supplements that moms and dads with children should be taking? Oh, supplements. Oh, man, I would just start with all those other diet and lifestyle things that you talked about first, right? Um, I mean, that's so, just so much more important for me. But, um, you know, I can, t- I can talk about a, a couple of things. So... Um, on the organic acids test, so this is a urine test that you do. There's three organic acids on there, um, adipate, superate, and ethylmalonate. And uh, those are fancy words. They're markers. And when they become elevated, it shows that you have insufficient amounts of a nutrient called carnitine. And carnitine is a nutrient, so it shuttles fatty acids from the outside of the cell into the mitochondria where they can be used as fuel. And obviously at night when you're sleeping, you're in the fasted state, right? You've not eaten for a while. And so fuels other than glucose, so fatty acids, um, become really important for fueling your body while it's sleeping. And then also um, there's a couple of steps there in, in, in the fat metabolism that click off, kick off a process called gluconeogenesis. And, and gluconeogenesis is just a fancy way of saying making sugar out of something that previously wasn't sugar. And so this is another source of energy that maybe your brain and red blood cells and some other things, other tissues need. And so this is something that needs to be happening correctly inside of your body when you sleep. And um, if it's not happening, if there's a deficiency of carnitine, then guess what? You wake up, right? You get some stress hormones maybe released and, and those things, they kind of, they, they signal alertness. They kind of, they're there to save your life and, and, and they wake you up. And, and so I found that, um, you know, once I found out about the deficiency, Taking carnitine as a supplement was something that was incredibly helpful um, to me to, to, for sleeping through the night. But, you know, I don't take that anymore. I don't see the need for carnitine anymore. I don't notice the difference now. I don't take it. And so really the key is doing the test, right? You can't make a blanket recommendation. Oh, everybody should take carnitine. You're all going to sleep so much better because it really depends on whether you need it or not. And then how does somebody go about this test? Because the audience is no stranger to quantification. A lot of the guests we've had on the show, Chris, are in the quantified self community, the digital health community. So we know that what gets measured gets managed effectively. So this test where someone can see what their level of carnitine is. I mean, I know you had talked about different FDN testings, but specifically for this issue, when we look at sleep and the impact for someone's sleep patterns, how would they go about learning what their level of carnitine is? The organic acids test, it's kind of clever the way that it works. It doesn't actually measure anything directly. It's measuring things indirectly. Um, so this branch, this technology, this area of science is called uh, metabolomics, if you want to kind of 
Google it and look at the Wikipedia page. But so what it's really measuring are these metabolites that show up in the urine. And when you measure high or low on one of these metabolites, it tells you something about the biochemistry. And so it's a surrogate marker, if you will. And it's a bit like uh, my best analogy is imagine you were looking at the flow of water in a river and it was your responsibility. You were managing the flow of water in that river. And then a beaver came along and it built a dam. And so you would see changes in the flow rate that would indicate a problem, right? It's kind of the flow rates getting low downstream and, and, th and that's a problem for me. And so I need to do something about this dam that's building up. And so that's the way that the organic acids test work. You simply collect a sample of urine first thing in the morning and then you freeze it and then you send it into the lab. And then two weeks later, they send you back this PDF report that tells you the levels of all these organic acids. And it's not just, so I've just picked on fatty acid metabolism and, and carnitine uh, sufficiency as one example, but there's actually 46 of these organic acids on the result. And on, on some labs, there's even more. And so it's kind of a real, it's a Pandora's box, but it's also one of the things that really inspired and motivated me. You know, it's a quantitative sort of guy that likes to problem solve. When I first saw this test, I was like, okay, this is cool. And I need to know what all of it means. Hmm. And kind of here I am two years later. That is so cool, man. For the audience to red meat, one of the highest sources of carnitine, right? I mean, I think when we're looking at grass fed meat, then there's pork and chicken and things like that. Um, you know, you're right when we look at the sleep as a continuum and how we can facilitate quality sleep, there's a lot of moving parts. I don't think we should attack it right away with supplementation. However, if someone's doing these tests, Chris, and they find that their carnitine is low, besides the supplementation of carnitine, are there other things that we can do when traveling to facilitate positive sleep? You're on the cutting edge of this, and I know you work with a lot of clients. Is there something that comes up when you work with your clients around different supplements for engaging better sleep? Oh, yeah. So um, that's another little niche that we've carved out for ourselves. It seems like so my wife, Julie, the food scientist, she coaches people on a paleo diet and she does that one on one. And she does, um, you know, shared food diaries with a Google Docs spreadsheet. And at the moment, she seems to be working exclusively with airline pilots, which is, is kind of fun because you think about it, you've got limited food choices. You can't just have your very best grass fed, organic, whatever, wherever you go, you've got to yeah, be- Yeah, the paleo menu is kind of low on planes. Yeah, right. Well, how are you going to do that? Surviving an airport is, is hard at the best of times. And then surviving airplane food is even worse. And then, um, you know, you've got jet lag and screwed up circadian rhythms and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I mean, I think preparation is the, is the best, uh, is, is like the key there, right? So you've got to- um, so she gets people to seal stuff and there's this like vacuum sealer bag thing you can get from Amazon. Maybe I'll send you the link to the product page and you can you can seal your foods like ahead of time in, in these vacuum sealed bags. And then um, she gets people to uh, buy like cans of sardines, travel well. MCT oil is like one of the best supplements ever. Um, we've been hearing really great things about um, Doc Parsley's sleep cocktails supplement. I've heard, you know, like several clients, probably about 10 people now have reported to me um, that that works fantastically well. I have heard a lot about this sleep cocktail. What's in there? What, what, what does he put in the cocktail? Well, it's probably nothing that you don't already know. So one of the problems is I don't know what's in it. And he's not until it's like, you know, one of these business things until he gets the patent. I don't think he's actually giving uh, exact quantities, but certainly I recognize uh, many of the nutrients. So magnesium, probably people, most people know about um, vitamin D, uh, 5-HTP, which you previously mentioned. I think there's a tiny trace amount of melatonin in there. Um, I can't remember what else. And so as Doc Parsley puts it, it's kind of, he's just bringing, he's bringing the lumber 
to the lumber yard and it's kind of up to your up to your body up to the biochemistry to do something useful with it Hmm. um so you've got to you've got to do all of it right so we get our pilots to do the blue blocking glasses and uh you know maybe start slowly adjusting to the new time zone um ahead of time you know right if you're flying from say san francisco to london it might be a good idea to try and um like slowly start inching your way towards that new time zone um before you even make the flight this technology, it's existed for a while as far as how we supplement healthy sleep. But really what I'm getting from you is it starts with the food. It's not loading up your purse with a bunch of HTP and melatonin. It's getting these vacuum sealed bags and getting some healthy foods into your system, which then gives you the healthy sleep, right? Yeah, exactly. It starts with food. It it really does. That's kind of, that's where you start. You don't start with the supplements. Shifting into a new space where we look at the environment in which we sleep. As I mentioned that night when I was watching my niece, I felt it the next day. But how do busy parents hack their rooms where they actually sleep? What is this kind of perfect sleep chamber? What can we do in a room where the temperature, the light, the settings? I mean, there's a lot of information out there. Give us just the simple kind of like clarity answer here on what parents can do, the three or four things that can really make a difference in how they sleep. I'll tell you what's worked really well for us. And I'm not sure whether this would work brilliantly for everybody else, but it's something for people to think about. Um, So one thing that we've done is not separate our baby uh, from into a different room, right? That kind of never really made sense to us for a number of reasons. So, you know, you've got a new baby, like every time it cries, you have to get up and go to another room and all these baby monitors and all this kind of stuff. Like we just kind of shun that from the beginning. And so our daughter has always slept in the same bed as us. And then, you know, especially in the early days, she would wake up and she would want to feed. And then rather than than my wife having to get up and go somewhere to do that, um, you know, she was just there in her armpit and she would start feeding, right? And, um, you know, that's kind of, not much has changed since then, honestly. Like she's now nearly two um, and she does have her own bed, but she's alongside us. So if she wakes up in the middle of the night and she starts going, you know, where's mummy? Like she's kind of disorientated. She doesn't know where she is. My wife will just grab her and just pull her into the bed and she'll be back asleep in five seconds. And because I sleep really well now, I don't even wake up. So I'm like, for the most part, completely unaware of this. And then also, so we talked about the temperature of the room. I think it's got to be cool. That's very helpful. Um, we've gone to quite a lot of effort to make the room as dark as possible, you know, with like really good quality blinds. And you can even get these things called easy blackout windows or like kind of black stuff you can put on your windows to make them even darker. And then we've got um, a HEPA air filter. Um, these things you can get from Amazon and uh, it's, it, it purifies the air. and It makes it smell a bit nicer, but it's also a white noise generator. And we found that our daughter is um, a lot less likely to wake up. Uh, because of some sudden noise, which doesn't really happen that much actually now. We used to live in Oakland, which was on a very busy road um, in Northern California. Now we live in Santa Cruz, which is amongst the Redwoods, so it's much quieter. But it's really that kind of, you know, the sudden noises. Somebody opens a door and it's kind of noisy or a dog barks or something like that. That's the kind of thing, the sudden changes in noises that wake babies up. And so the the white noise generator is like really helpful for for preventing her from waking up. Do you feel like that has an impact on your and your wife's sleep as well with the white noise? Or was that really just for keeping the child at bay? It's mostly for the kids, but yeah, we definitely notice it now. I think white noise is kind of addictive. You know, you like you go to another room where you know, like you go to a hotel or something. There's no white noise. As long as it's not a television, some people fall asleep to the TV. I'm like, that's the first thing we're taking out of your life. Well, let's shift into the last phase. I just have one more question about sleep. It's what rituals you institute with your family, with yourself in preparation for your bed. What can the audience learn about bedtime preparation? Oh yeah, so um. 
people think I'm a freak, I think. Even my close, like, it's well, extended family think I'm a bit of a weirdo just because of, um, they think I'm afraid of the dark. They think I'm like a vampire or something. And um, what, what what's really going on is, is, like, several hours before bedtime, I will start doing the lights until most people would think it's dark completely. And um, what's really going on is I'm I'm just trying to, shut down that light so I can start producing melatonin, which is going to send that signal to my brain that it's bedtime. And I think what a lot of people have forgotten is that, you know, your eyes will adjust. Like if you can, you can turn the light off or turn it very dim with a dimmer and um, eventually your eyes will adjust and then it doesn't seem very dark anymore, but it, you have to wait a few seconds for that to happen. Right. And people never get past that, that hurdle. So I know now without that, like I'm just not sleeping. So if I'm in somebody's house in their kitchen and they've got those 100 watt halogen spotlights, then I'm at least two hours away of, from going to sleep. So if it's 10 o'clock at night or it's midnight, then, you know, I'm, it's going to be a really late light night for me. So, um, yeah, adjusting our environment and kind of being really good about that and being really kind of organized has is, is been incredibly helpful for my sleep. And as far as rituals, it sounds like you're just getting everything set. Is there a certain time block? Is it like an hour before you're actually going to go to bed? Or how many minutes do you put aside for this ritual? Yeah, so for me, it's like a couple of hours. Like it really is that long. Like I have to get rid of all of those lights for a couple of hours before bedtime. Else I'm just not going to sleep as well. And I, I guess it depends on like how, what quality of sleep you're after. Like for me now as an athlete, um, you know, doing a ton of training, racing every weekend at the moment with cyclocross. Um, I, I want to recover to my maximum potential. And so I, my, the holy grail of sleep for me, which I now regularly achieve, is I go to sleep and then I wake up and it's morning. I don't get up to pee. I don't wake up at all until it's morning. And um, the only way I can achieve that is being kind of monkish and a little bit nerdy with the sleep hacks, but I think it's worth it. You know, I think so too. And I mean, Dave Asprey, there's so many different thought leaders in the wellness industry and in the paleo community that talk about hacking sleep. I think it's kind of a buzzword, Chris, when people say hacking, but essentially what I'm learning from you on the show today is going back to the basics. It's the key fundamentals of living where we look at temperature, noise, and light. Now, when we turn into oxidation, I mean, if you were to cut an apple in half, and the apple turns brown, that's oxidation. It's oxygen is corrosive. But oxidative stress is something essentially that's an imbalance. It's between free radicals and kind of the body's ability to detoxify this. Can you touch on what oxidative stress and free radicals are for people that might not know what that is and how that could affect their health? Sure. Yeah, it's very complicated, but um, it's not hard to learn about it. So if you're really interested in this, then I'd recommend um, Googling the Khan Academy. So Sal Khan, uh, runs this kind of like, I don't know what to call it really. It's an, an, an education institute and he does these amazing videos that you can just sit there and watch him draw on a blackboard and he'll explain all this chemistry to you. But um, basically um, oxidation is um, losing electrons. So if you could imagine a molecule that has a certain number of electrons and then um, you can look at a reactive oxygen species. It's kind of like a, a sort of jealous creature that's looking to steal electrons from another molecule and um, it will do that, like, um, a, you know, a, a free radical will steal that electron. And the problem with this is when you remove these electrons from a molecule, you, you, you change its structure and you change its function. So if this, if this thing, this molecule is, say, um, a phospholipid that surrounds the cell 
um, then you could maybe destroy that cell membrane eventually, and, and maybe that cell would die completely if there's there's too much oxidative stress. So um, this is obviously a real problem for our, our biochemistry and our physiology. And so our body has some um, ways in which it copes with this oxidative stress. And so your body makes antioxidants. And probably the most important intracellular antioxidant is called uh, glutathione. And uh, so when there's some kind of uh, disease or inflammation or, or something bad going on, you can become depleted of antioxidants like glutathione. And, and, and there's, there's tons of good um, science. Like you can, you can Google. So the organic acids test I do, it measures this oxidative stress. And you can actually Google the names of the organic acids and find some really good studies that describe exactly what's going on far better than I ever could. But um, yeah, that's what I encourage people to do to like kind of do their own homework. What have you done with clients for realizing that their oxidative stress is high? Is there a specific test that they can get for oxidative stress through your services? I think the gold standard for measuring oxidative stress is this organic acid. So this is the same test that I mentioned earlier um, that looked for a carnitine deficiency, organic acids, and then the organic acids that you're looking at are probably 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine. So that's kind of a bit of a mouthful. That sounds fun. But that one, it's a, it's a fine. <laughs> I love these organic acids. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of being an adventure trying to learn how to pronounce them. So that's the that's the magic keyword. The, the, the nice thing about these weird names is it makes it very easy to do some research. You know, like when, you know, if you were to just like search for fatigue, for example, with Google, like, I mean, you're going to find anything and everything, right? Whereas when you search for 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine, you're only going to find exactly what you're looking for. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, those these crazy names. So um, what this organic acid measures is um, the breakdown of guanosine. And, and, and guanosine is one of the components of DNA. So you know that when there's a buildup of this organic acid, that there's a lot of oxidative stress, cells are being torn down, um, the DNA is being destroyed and then all that cellular garbage is ending up in, in the urine. And there's some really good studies that show that, you know, once this oxidative stress goes above a certain level, then it's strongly predictive of cancer and type 2 diabetes and some other problems. And so, um, you know, when you find this result on an organic acids test, what you've really got to do is like figure out why. Like what's what, what's this coming from? Mm-hmm. Like is it an infection? Is it inflammation? Is it you know, is it something else? Like, it's probably not going to be a deficiency of antioxidants that's that's causing this problem. It's it's going to be something else. So, it's kind of like the beginning of a of an investigation rather than the end. But I think it's a really useful marker to see how you're doing. Like, it's a, a really great way to quantify or track progress. Your uncle, he's a retired professor of pharmacology at Edinburgh University. And I think it was one or two years ago you'd mentioned on a different show that he shared this study with uh, lycopene being used to reduce overall oxidative stress. Can you share a little bit about this with the audience? Yeah, sure. So lycopene is an extract that you'll find in tomatoes. And um, it's uh, an antioxidant. And and the reason um, they sometimes use it in studies is because it's super cheap. So anybody that's ever tried to uh, buy antioxidants as a supplement will know that they're very expensive. And so that's kind of the appeal of lycopene is it's it's really expensive. But um, to kind of back up a bit, you know, when I first looked at oxidative stress, you know, I had this guy, I always like to question people, you know, like I'm always kind of doubting things and being quite skeptical. And, um, you know, I looked at this organic acids, I'd measured this level of 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine. I was like, okay, is this quackery? Is there anything really in this? And so um, I emailed my uncle and I said, is oxidative stress a real thing? Is it a problem? And so he sent me a bunch of studies that show, yes, absolutely, it is a problem. And 
you know, you should probably do something about this because it's going to affect your, your health and longevity. And um, since then, it's been kind of my learning, my understanding, my education has kind of grown significantly. And, um, you know, I've done a podcast with Tommy. So Tommy's my chief medical officer. He's the biochemist. And um, he's since sent me a lot of really good studies that show that exercise is in fact an antioxidant. So when you do exercise, you consume more oxygen, you metabolize more energy, you create more of these reactive oxygen species, but at the same time, you upregulate your body's own internal production of the antioxidants like glutathione, and that helps cope with the change in the system, right? The, the change in homeostasis. And um, the oxidative stress is actually in, an important part of the cellular signaling that leads to the training adaptations that take place when you do exercise. So if you're an elite athlete or any type of athlete for that matter, and you care about the training benefits, then the last thing you want to do is be pounding a bunch of lycopene or some other antioxidant right after you do your workout. You're basically going to do some damage and then you're immediately going to stamp it out. And so the net effect is going to be not zero, but it's going to be, it's going to be dampened. And so, you know, it's probably a bad idea for for athletes to supplement with antioxidants around the time that they're working out. Chris, so powerful. And you touched on a lot during this interview. I feel like we already talked for 20 minutes before the show. We're going to have to meet up at a coffee shop in Northern California one day. But I want to just leave the show with the most powerful section. This is the fun one. And this is where I ask seven questions in a seven for seven series where I'll ask you seven questions and you give me seven answers. It's whatever comes up for you top of mind. Are you ready? I'm sweating. I've kind of got that stinky pheromone, sweaty smell now. <laughs> when, you, when you travel, what are the three most important supplements or foods that you bring with you? That's a really good question. Yeah, I don't, I think, so I'm really into my ketogenic diet. That's really, really helped me. And I don't think I'd go anywhere without MCT oil. MCT oil, canned sardines, and methylfolate. I've got like a weird genetic deficiency that means that I really don't methylate very well. And methylfolate is a really important supplement for me. And if I stop taking it, my allergies come back. So yeah, those three. How does that work on the plane when you crack open the sardines? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good question. Like, I don't think a lot of people know that um, you can take any food you want on an airplane now. Like they're kind sure. of funny about liquids, but food. Yeah. Oh, no, we just we're just yeah, we don't have any shame. We are the people with that. But everyone does it right. People bring stinky takeaways and all sorts of food onto the plane. You just have to get on with it. What is the most impactful or even thought provoking book that you've read this year? Do you know what? I've read so few books. So in the beginning, I used to read like a book a week. And more recently, it switched over to reading scientific studies that Tommy sends me. And he sends me so many that I don't have time for anything else. And I spend, at the moment, we, I, we worked it out, my wife and I sat down, it's probably over 100 hours a week I spend at the moment reading. Hmm. And um, so rather than a book, I'm going to mention a paper. And I can actually, I can actually link to that in, um, in, in the show notes maybe for this episode. And it's a, a paper that talks about the role of insulin and how misunderstood it is. And um, yeah, maybe that's all I'll say about it. And we'll, we'll link to it and people can read that for themselves. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite a consumer friendly. You don't need to be very technical to read this paper. And it's in, just incredibly insightful. How do you respond to people you might come across in public or maybe even a new client that might say to you that eating meat is murder? <sighs> that's a tough one. Blimey, you've got tough questions, haven't you? Um, 
I really don't have that much interest in the morality or politics of anything. Like my, I'm very single-minded and probably not very smart in certain ways. And all I really care about is what works. You know, I've been down that route. I used to care about climate change. I used to care about vegetarianism and sustainability and all of that stuff. And it just made me feel bad. I've ended up being a worse human. Like I was not very nice to be around. And, it, you know, life wasn't very fun. And when I stopped thinking about those things and just started thinking about the foods and the diet and lifestyle hacks that work, like life got much better for me. And I've not been tempted to go back and think about those things since. <laughs> if you could change just one thing about the wellness industry, what would that one thing be and why? It would be to decentralize. So what the thing I know now is that the main reason that our healthcare system doesn't work is because it's completely lopsided, right? So you've got these people who are the doctors that hold all of the cards, right? They've got the, your test results. They're holding them real close to your chest. They're encouraging you to stay away from Google and not try and diagnose yourself. And I think the exact opposite should be happening. I think we should be doing more education. We should be explaining what 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine is. I think that people are not dumb. Like, like they can figure this stuff out. It's not that hard to understand um, how health and how biochemistry and how physiology works. And if people knew how their bodies worked better, then they would be able to look after themselves better. And then we wouldn't have so much pressure on the doctors to have to see 25 people in the course of one day and write all these prescriptions. What is the one belief about health that you love to help your clients let go of? You know, vegetarian is one of them. I have to say that we have worked with, so I have a history, I tried vegetarianism, it worked awfully for me. And you know it's not working when you do one of these organic acids tests, which looks at B vitamin deficiencies, right? So there's something, you know, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. Like someone will email me and say, you're an idiot, but you know, when you get a vegan come to you and they're falling apart and they do an organic acids test and we see that they're deficient in all of these B vitamins and they're like, when I see all that test and I realize that I should eat meat because that's the most nutrient dense source of these things that I lacked and then they feel so much better in six weeks time, that's a pretty amazing thing. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would say that. Question number six, almost to the end of the gauntlet. How has technology played a role in your own wellness or in the wellness of your clients in the past three years? Well, the, the internet has changed everything. You think everything that we've talked about, none of it would have been possible without the internet. There would be no podcasts, there would be no blogs, there would be nothing. There would be no, it would still, we would still be stuck in the dark ages where it would be impossible to question anything that your doctor said just because you wouldn't be able to get access to their knowledge. Like everything would be in textbooks. What's in textbooks is 20 years old and might have been flawed in the first place. And none of it would have been possible. And I think we're in a pretty amazing time where we can all listen to these podcasts and end up being better educated than many of the primary care uh, physicians that, that we see on a daily basis. Last question. What is wellness to you? What is your personal definition of wellness? Having the, the extra energy to do things that you otherwise wouldn't normally do, right? So that's one of the ways in which I, I, I gauge success with my clients is, you know, they'll say to me, oh, well, you know, I found myself like taking, I took up golf or I started going to a class to learn how to speak Spanish. And, um, you know, I've noticed I don't need to be so strict anymore when I go to a restaurant. So there's this kind of, there's two things there actually I've touched on, which is one is which have it, having this additional energy to try new things, which I think is amazing. And then the second like kind of is robustness. Like, can you be like, sort of step outside of your little bubble a little bit and not suffer the consequences too badly? And um, yeah, still be pretty good. 
Chris Kelly, such a great show. I learned a lot specifically around sleep that I think everybody can apply in the new year. I want to give people a place where they can learn about you and discover more. Is it nourishbalancethrive.com? Yeah, nourishbalancethrive.com is is the place to be. And um, you can actually book a free consultation and and talk to one of my colleagues. Uh, Amelia is a registered nurse that I work with, and she's had all the same training that I do. And and so you can talk to her for 20 minutes about your specific situation and see if any of the testing can help you. Or if you've already got some blood work, you know, like, so I think that's a really good place to start with a, the standard blood chemistry that a doctor would run uh, as part of a, a yearly checkup. You can send that to me. I can run it through my software, send you a written report, get you on the phone for 30 minutes. Um, that's a really great place to start, I think, for trying to figure out what's going on inside your body. And you also have a great podcast on iTunes. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Chris, we covered a ton on the show today. Thanks so much for your expertise and knowledge. We covered so much around sleep, but is there anything you feel we missed overall that you'd like to mention in regards to better wellness or behavior change for busy parents in the new year? I don't think so. I think you've done a really great job. I mean, and, and, you know, thank you so much for this opportunity. I think you are a fantastic interviewer and it, it's something, you know, I have my own podcast and it, it's something I think about a lot. You know, how can I be a better interviewer? How can I ask better questions? And um, you're an example. You're someone I can look up to. So, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure, Chris. Thanks a lot for your compliment, man. And we wish you the very best in 2016. And maybe we'll have you back on the show. We can talk about HRV. I know that's something you're passionate about. So let's keep in touch for the new year. We wish you much success in the coming year. Likewise. And you, Josh. Thank you. That is a wrap for episode 38 here on the show. Thank you so much. Whatever you're doing right now, you finished your run, maybe you're still on the stairs at 24-Hour Fitness, maybe you're doing bicep curls at LA Fitness. I just want to thank you for sticking around till the end of the show because at the end of every show, I always give what I like to call some fun treats. I mean, who doesn't like treats? Remember when you were a kid and you, you heard the word treat? Or if you have a pet at home and you say treat and the pet's ears like pop up, that's kind of how I feel about treats. Well, anyways, at the end of every show, I always give something because that's really what this show is about. It's about giving you the most inspiring and passionate experts in both wellness technology and behavior change. But let's unpack those just for a second. What is behavior change? Behavior change is something that isn't temporary. Behavior change is something that we're trying to implement for a sustainably long period of time. And so with behavior change, we look at how technology can actually necessitate better, more strategic, and a sticking power that exists with behavior change like never before. And that is really the essential meaning of wellness technology. Wellness technology being applications, fitness wearables, Fitbits, Jawbones, Misfits, things like that. These are all really powerful tools for us in what I think is the point of life to figure out how we can show up the most powerfully and effectively, love the people around us, be of service in health and wellness to our own bodies so that we can do that for other people. Well, that's what these two buckets are. And I'd like to offer you the opportunity to meet with me one-on-one for 30 minutes in a Skype coaching call where we can talk about what ways wellness technology can benefit you and you can pick my brain about different things that are coming up for you as far as roadblocks on your journey to creating better wellness in 2016. Now you get to go and have an amazing day with all the tools and the inspiration from Chris Kelly on today's show as well as every single guest from now until back in 2015. I'm wishing you love and wellness.